0: Thank you. Just have to find out. Does anybody here like fruitcake? <laughs> wow! Sign of the end times. That's great. I was just kind of surprised at that. But there are traditions, and then there are traditions. Carolyn and I, when our kids were young, uh, when they were toddlers and certainly through grade school, after the Christmas Eve services, we'd go home and they could open one present, and we always would do the Christmas story. And I forget which one of our little darlings said, Dad, are you going to ruin Christmas again this year by explaining it? <laughs> well, I'm going to do that this morning. <laughs> I was reading a list of the greatest cities this last week in uh, studying to raise a child in America. Uh, Men's Magazine has one, go figure that. There's, uh, there's Forbes has one, others. By the way, if you compile them together, uh, I found out Los Angeles comes in number 68 out of 100 of a place to raise a child. But why would God pick Nazareth? Nazareth was a little hole in the wall. They don't have a Greek word for town, but that's what it was. Jesus of Nazareth. This is like Jesus of Barstow. <laughs> and I'm sure I'll get emails on that. But <laughs> why would he pick a place like that. What does that tell you about God? For this would be the village that not only his entire childhood, but 30, as I said, of 33 of his years he would be raised. And it tells us two incredible things before we come to this table here, or for those of you watching online in your prayer time. It tells us that God delights. He doesn't just like it. He loves using the common and the unknown. God's not looking for the super studs and the super special. God loves using a common, unknown village like Nazareth. And second of all, God not only uses the common for an uncommon way, that's in our weaknesses that the secret of your and my life is found. Not in our strengths. Because it's in our weaknesses that we finally give God an open opportunity for him to move. And nothing explains that more than getting ready to come to this table. Well, when you say Nazareth, you know, in the story of the visible image of the invisible God, incarnation, incarnate, carne, the Latin word for meat, chili con carne, meat with beans, this is God con carne, this is God with flesh, this radical concept, as this was with a uh, rabbi friend, great brother, uh, well, friend, I don't call him a brother in that sense, uh, that he loves definitely what he does and believes. And I asked him, is the biggest problem for you the Trinity? He said, not at all. It's the incarnation. The idea that God could put on flesh. And he does this in this miracle in the birth of Jesus. And he chooses to do it in Nazareth. Well, what about Nazareth? Well, we have our traveling shepherds to show us all these different cities. So watch this.
1: The bell is
2: on the go, traveling to
1: and fro, going with the flow. So tonight, hello. Trolls into the snow, where the wind will blow.
0: The evening where we sure, show never start as far. It's Ellie. Who's your
1: favorite bro? You're in the know with the shepherds.
2: Good morning, Jezreel Valley. I am Samuel. And I'm Henry. Together, we're a Henuel. No, we're not. We're Samry.
1: So let's talk about it. Have you heard about Caesar Augustus' new decree? He's going to take a census of the entire Roman Empire.
2: Well, they better not take my census. I'm using all five of mine. Right.
1: So this census means that many families are going to need to leave their current homes and go back to their places of origin. And we caught up with one such family who's on their way from Nazareth. So please welcome Joseph and his fiancé, the Virgin Mary.
2: Oh, wow. Hi. Hello. Wow. <laughs> Virgin means something different in Nazareth? Uh,
1: Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. It's an honor to be here. Hey, you know, Virgin Mary, uh, the question on everyone's mind here obviously is... What's there to do in Nazareth? This is one tiny burg.
0: We do have a synagogue. <laughs>
2: oh my, yeah, which is a major yeah. accomplishment, considering old Krar had that cult center up the road. Well, they find, like, the remains of 65 skeletons with decorated skulls. Do not go there. asking for a cup of sugar.
1: <laughs> That's something we've tried to put behind us. But still, people love to say, can anything good come from Nazareth?
2: Mm. Joke's on them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, okay so let's talk about this let's talk about the big question why aren't there many trade routes through your town well we do sit 1300 feet above sea level
2: we're practically inaccessible tell me about it 1600 foot limestone cliffs good morning nazareth we can't even get to you
0: However, it is a lovely view. I think it's one of the most beautiful places
2: in all of Galilee. But you might as well put signs all around the city saying don't even visit here unless you're a goat. Speaking of visitors, I'd love to talk about how I was visited by angels. That does sound interesting,
1: and I'd love to do that, but first we need to take a little break and look at the weather, right, Henry?
2: Oh, right you are. Well, it uh, looks like rain. That's it? Well, what do you expect between October and April? It's our rainy season.
0: That's true. Nazareth gets about 25 inches of rain per year.
1: Which is great for farming, not so good for carpentry. (laughs) Which is what I was doing when an angel appeared to me and said... Fascinating. And speaking of miracles, have to ask, how are you two going to survive a road trip on a donkey?
2: We have faith we'll be protected.
1: Aww. Well, good luck, you two kids. I'm being told we're out of time, so we'll be back at 5 with a special report on herding, guaranteed to bring your sheep closer. For Good Morning Natural, it's Hanuel. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. I like That's it. That's a nonsense one. No, I don't like it. I like it. I'll talk to you later. amen. Amen.
0: Nazareth reveals that God delights in using the common and the unknown things, places, and people of life. If you have your Bible, let's take a look at this remarkable passage again. Turn back over to Luke and to the first chapter on page 831 in your pew Bible there. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any writer as far as words in his two-volume set, Luke and Acts. I'm told Beethoven wrote more notes than Mozart, even Mozart has hundreds of pieces and Beethoven doesn't, it's just that his are longer. Well, Luke is the only, as I said, the only goyim, the only, goyim, by the way, means the nation, so when your Jewish friends call you goys, that's what they're saying, it's not derogatory, well, most of the time it's not, but it's a sense of being, I saw a girl the other day with had a t-shirt, it was great, it said goy toy on it, but as, (laughs) but as, God continues to guide and to lead. Luke is the one who stands up and he writes a different kind of a gospel. He's a Greek, so he writes a gospel that is more readable for a lot of us. William Barclay, the great Scottish theologian, one time someone asked him if he would recommend a book on the life of Jesus. He said, have you read the one written by Luke? Luke is a great summary of all this. And as he is writing and showing to this Gentile audience who Jesus is, He begins and he shows this parallel account of the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Gabriel appears to both. A prophet has spoken. This is now the end of the silent years. God has not spoken to a prophet since Malachi, 400 years earlier. And now God is stepping out of the quietness and he's speaking, he's going to do a new thing. And he sends to, first of all, to Zechariah, who is the high priest. And then he comes to Mary in verse 26. In the sixth month, that is of Elizabeth, the cousin's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, Mary is by far the most famous female who's ever lived on this planet. Our Roman Catholic and Greek Orthodox brothers and sisters in Christ have such a veneration for her, so high in praying to her. And Protestants say, never pray to another person other than Jesus. But I'll tell you one thing we as Protestants missed the boat on completely the unbelievable reverence due this remarkable woman. She is a peasant, she's totally unknown. She's in her betrothal period, probably in her teens, and she's in this little hole in the wall called Nazareth, and Gabriel appears to her and says, hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, what God is doing is he's doing what is so like God. He's going to take someone very common and do an extraordinary thing. God delights in using everyday stuff, you and I, and we spend so much of our life trying to find the special, the super, the empowered, and forget it. It's in the everyday life, in the everyday people that God loves to come. Remember those contests with the chefs, Iron Chef and stuff, they give them the same ingredients, and they gotta cook up their own recipe? That's what God does, the same people like you and I. Or an artist takes the same paint, any of you who are painters, oh my goodness, I mean, they'll watch these masters out here, and you go up here and you watch and look in the pond what they can pull off of there. You know, a a football in my hand, an NFL football is worth right now, you know, they're about $130. In the hands of one of the NFL quarterbacks, it's worth about $30 million a year. You put a golf club in my hand, that's worth about $200, really good one. Put it in Tiger Woods' hands, even on a bad day, that's worth millions. You take your life, just leave it as it is, you put it in the hands of God. And that's what he is doing with Mary. Hail, the Lord is with you. Now why did he say the Lord is with you? That is something that Mary would have had echoing her mind from an ancestor of hers. The great grandfather of King David, Boaz. Got your Bible. Turn over to Ruth, the second chapter. It's on page 211 in your pew Bible there. You know this great story of Ruth that Naomi, Jewish Israelite, goes to Moab with her husband and her two boys. Her two boys marry Moabite women. Her husband dies and then both her boys die and she's left with her daughter-in-law's. And she says, I got to go back to Israel. And she tells her daughter-in-laws, because she loves them, you stay here with your home. And one goes back. But Ruth says, no, I'm never going to leave you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And this remarkable relationship of uh, in-laws. Like they say, betwi- behind every successful man is a stunned mother-in-law. Well, here with <laughs> Ruth, she is going with her. And she goes to, this, to her uncle's farm, Boaz. He's a wealthy landowner. Verse 1, now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family, Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I might find favor. And what she's saying is, let me go work the fields like a day laborer And maybe somebody there will hire us to take us in. I mean, there's a famine in the land. And her uncle or this cousin out there of Naomi has a lot. So she goes. So verse, she said, go, my daughter. And she went, verse 3. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. "Sursum corda is the part, any of you who are Catholic or Orthodox, in the time of the Eucharist, communion service, will you say, lift up your heart. "Sursum corda is the Latin, before the Lord, we lift them up. You know what that's from? It's from an employer and an employee. Boaz shows up, he looks at his workers, he owns the field, and he says, the Lord be with you. Now, I had an employer one time say not that, but said, he said, dear Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> Why would an owner say to that? Because Boaz understands that his little farm is a part of the economy of God, that God is working out his plan, and he knows he succeeds and fails depending on how his employees do. And so he says to them, the Lord be with you in what you're doing. This is a holy thing you're doing. They're out there working, they're working the ground. This is a holy thing to God. And the workers trust the owner, Boaz. And they said, and the Lord be with you. They understand that their part in this is dependent on the owner. And they're glad to have that role. And when you and I go into our jobs and we look at it and realize, this is holy stuff to God. And God likes people having jobs when you're unemployed in between trusting them, when you're in the classroom, when you're just sitting by somebody in line at Trader Joe's or somebody. This is holy stuff to say, the Lord be with you. So flip back over to Luke and we'll continue on. So if she would have known this from being taught the stories before of that. By the way, one of the, God using the uncommon, one of the, I was reading the remarkable things of Apollo 13, were the engineers back in Houston, when Apollo 13 got in trouble, they created from what was on board that capsule between the earth and the moon, a complete air filtration system from the parts that were just stuck on that capsule. The incredible thing is, how could they do that off of that with a slide rule? And what God is doing here is he's using this common Jewish girl. But she was perplexed by his words and pondered at what greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive, conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he will, his name will be Jesus. I'll bet you, I wonder if it's like to hear an angel, but I'll bet you right here Gabriel's voice tone changed, because he's going to now prophesy what the holy God has sent him to say. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now notice I'm 29, Mary was perplexed. Gabriel in the first part of this story goes and shows himself Zachariah. Zechariah was a priest. A priest and a Levite. And in your lifetime as a priest, not every priest ever got to give incense in the holies. That may because there were so many of them, and it was lotted out. There was a morning sacrifice and an evening. And maybe in your lifetime, you might one time get the lot where you could come in here. It'd be the highest moment of a pastor of a priest's life. And he's in the holies, and he's offering incense on behalf of Israel. And Gabriel appears, standing at the right, which is the presence of God. And Zechariah is flipped out, and the people outside are waiting for him to come out. And he says, you're going to have a child. And Zechariah says what every guy says who's older. Have you seen how old my wife is? <laughs> and Zachariah goes, or Gabriel says to Zachariah, you backtalk me? I am Gabriel. And so what? Since you can't handle your mouth, your lips are going to be shut until that child is born. And he can't speak until the child is born. Zachariah doubted. This is the strength of Mary. She doesn't doubt, but she's kind of weirded out by this whole thing. But her faith is unbelievable. But He says, you will have a child. And then she goes, you know, I'm not really dating around a lot. Um, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. The power of the Most High in the Greek is epischizo. It means to tent over. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Sometimes it's used when a king came and took control of something because his presence so filled the room, he episkizomai. He came and overshadowed them. When is the last time you said to a friend, or do we ever say to our kids, we say, yes, be humble, be nice. When they go to school, when's the last time you said, go forth and be overshadowed? (laughs) That's a bad word to us as Americans because it sounds like we're being overshadowed by others because that's exactly what it means. It means like we've lost our limelight, we've lost our specialness. Other people are getting the attention. And one of the great things, and why every time an angel steps into this time-space continuum, and it it seems that only the angels are given that permission. The fallen angels, the demonic, though they interact with us spiritually and in demonic possession— there's no record that a demon has ever seen. It only seems that the angels are allowed to enter. And at times, just like a dolphin down here in Santa Monica Bay, they're out there and you don't know it till you see them come up. There are times that angels break, and every time they do, the first thing they say to humans like you and me is they go, it's all right, fear not, fear not, fear not. Chill out. I tell you, if an angel, one angel appeared right here, we'd all be on the floor sucking slate, and I would be leading that move. Because the power that they have. It. This is Gabriel himself. And... Mary isn't afraid of him this is the power of this lady but she says how will this be and he says the Lord will overshadow you it's a reference of the old testament when the spirit of God came upon like Jephthah the prophet or the spirit comes upon Elijah and that's how Elijah has the power to do what he does the spirit it says of God Ruach Elohim comes upon Samson. Samson is an average guy. He's always painted by the medieval all these muscles. He might have been, looked like Pee Wee Herman. Who knows? But it's when the Spirit of God comes upon him, he becomes super strong. The Spirit of God will come upon you, overshadow you, Mary, and you're going to give your DNA, your egg, and God's going to do the rest. It's the same word Jesus says to the disciples after the resurrection. You wait in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit... You will receive power from epischizomai when it overshadows you. Therefore, the child is holy because you and I had nothing to do with it. And one of the great secrets of life, my brothers and sisters, is for us to be able to realize the things that we are afraid of is to bring them to the Lord. You know, this time of year, people are in such bad moods, they're all tired, you know, and they're stressed out. If you don't think this is an angry culture, the age of rage, you go shopping this afternoon down in the mall. You get out here on the 405 and watch. I mean, people are mad. But you know what you and I really live in? Not the age of rage. The age of fear. We are terrified. And fear is a specific thing. And when something happens and it comes to your brain, you have a two-track Process One sends it to your lower brain, to the amygdala and the hippocampus and that the fight-or-flight mechanism, and you start pouring adrenaline. The other goes to your conscious at the same time trying to decide, how are you going to manage this? It's not wrong to feel an emotion. That's not good or bad. It's what we do with it. And you and I, when fear comes to us, the first thing it does, it freezes you. Your conscious brain does that so you can figure out what to do. But when it's fear at its most then settles down to anxiety. And anxiety is this general angst. And oh my goodness, we're afraid of the economy. We're afraid of our retirements. We're afraid of our bodies, of getting cancer, being sick. We're afraid of death. But Americans are really afraid of one thing in particular. We're afraid no one will ever know we're here. That we have lived our life, and time will close it. They'll put dirt on our grave, and nobody will ever know that we were here. This is exactly what Gabriel is addressing when he says to Mary, The Most High will overshadow you. And her response is, No, let me show myself. Huh. She says, In great service, the Lord's handmaid I am. There's a difference between service and being a servant. I love uh, to go down and to serve at uh, Union Rescue, you know, mission, L.A. mission and stuff. I think we all do this time of year and go down to our men and women. They just have had a… Some of them are psychotic. Some of them are addicts. We're struggling with that. But a lot of them are just men and women. The life has just sucker punched them and they're out and they help out. But you know what's fun is to watch the people that come down and serve, particularly the wealthy because once a year we like to go down and there's nothing a the matter with this. I guess I shouldn't mock it too much. Is to go down and to go out and to help out. That's good. But what's interesting is you can't believe how fast it is to take those aprons off and get back into your Porsche and drive home. It's one thing to give service. It's another thing to be a servant. A servant is where you have no rights. You do whatever the master wants whenever he wants it. He says, you do it. You go, okay, I've done that, I'm done now. No, you're not, do it again. And what's Mary's great power is that she has this ability to say, let it be done to me as you desire. And it's out of Nazareth that she's going to go. The angel of the Lord will say, she wants to go back to Bethlehem after Egypt because that's where the birth is, the house of David, Bethlehem, house of bread, and they don't go there. The angel says, go to Nazareth, back home to Nazareth, and it's in Nazareth that you will raise. And what do they think about Nazareth? Turn with me, last passage over to John, the first chapter, page 863 in your pew Bible. The God delights not only of using it at the beginning, but all along, the unknown. By the way, when you have a fear, admit it, submit it, and commit it. You admit it when you're afraid, and, and it's amazing how much we're afraid we are to admit what we're afraid of. We're really afraid to admit our fears, because they sound so juvenile and so much of the flesh. Well, admit the fear you've got, and then c- submit it to the Lord. Say, Lord, here, and then commit your faith into it. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know, the rabbis had a saying at this time that the Lord is not far off. That's where God shocks him and he says, oh yeah, Emmanuel. Not only am I not far off, I am with you. Jesus here has called two of his disciples in this great event in verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Remember Beth-El, the house of God, Jacob where he sleeps, and the stairway, the angels coming up. Jesus says, there's a new portal to heaven, and it's not a place, and it's not a time, it's moi. And I am the entrance to God and you come and you follow me. And so in all, all of our desire, and all of us are, have our fears and our wonders, there are Nazareth all around here in this city. We're so obsessed with power. I believe in being strong economically. I pray for the prosperity of the city. But it's not in the seats of economic power where God is working. I believe in a good, strong military. Might doesn't make right, but weakness encourages wrong. But it's not in our military strength. I believe in having smart political people, leaders that know how to work together, and there are two of them out there. Pray for them. (laughs) But the power seats up here in the city is not where it's at, though. God bless that. You know where God is working? He's working down with the night crew at the In-N-Out Burger. God is working in that little school in South Central. God is working in that flower shop down in the flower district afterward. God loves doing this. God is working with this common people that you are. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of that family? I say that every time they sit around the table with me, you know? Can anything good come out of that job? Can anything good come out of this situation? God says, are you willing to let me overshadow it? Willing to let me get the microphone on this? You ready to give that airtime to me? Let me see what I can do with that. But most of us in our flesh wanna hold on and say, no, I don't trust you, that's too frightening, rather than saying, yes, Lord, take that. And that's Mary's strength. And as we go out and serve, not to be seen, and we're not here to promote Bel Air Presbyterian Church. Lord, have mercy on us if we are. I'm not here to put Bel Air down, we need to let people know what we're doing, but we're not here to promote us, we're here to promote Jesus Christ, amen? And there's a lot of great churches out there. And we're here to work together that his name is promoted. And when you and I find it is that as, even as Boaz can say to our jobs, the Lord be with you. I've said God bless this job a lot of times, but that's not really what I meant. But when you say the Lord be with you, and if you're working for somebody who you think is even taking advantage of you, or you don't have a job to be able to rise up and say to others, and the Lord be with you, That's where this remarkable dynamic takes place. I will, Paul said, boast of what? The rabbi Saul of Tarsus had a V8 under the hood if anybody did. That man was brilliant. We know he speaks at least five languages. He was hand-taught, groomed by Gamaliel for the number one spot in the corporation. He has extradition power at the age of 29 that the king doesn't have to go to another country and arrest Christians. And yet what Paul says, who is so maligned and hated and mistrusted at the end of his life, therefore I will boast in what? My weaknesses. Because it's in my weaknesses God's strength is perfected. Teleos is the word taken to its conclusion. When's the last time you thought to yourself, you know, I can't control my sex addiction and my drinking and my… My mouth is so mean, and I'm so fearful, and I've said such harmful things in relationships, and I just can't get it together. And when's the last time you said, and I boast of that? Not of the sin, but of the sense of taking those weaknesses and saying, Epischizomy. Lord, overshadow those, use those. And finally, it's not because of our weaknesses, those are the only times we let God have the mic. That's the only time we let Him drive. And when that happens, he says, thank you. And of course he guides and leads us out of that. Notice that when they say, when Nathaniel says, can't anything good out in Nazareth, Philip doesn't have a debate with him. He goes, come and see. How many of you are inviting your friends to the Savior by simply saying, come and see? Are you inviting them to Bel Air? Are you inviting them to these different opportunities? Don't invite them. There's a lot of great churches. Invite them somewhere where Christ is being preached. And they want to argue with you. Well, how can that be? You say that God became a person. How? Come and see. You come and see. God's a big boy. He doesn't need you to defend him. He's very good at that. He acts like he's God. <laughs> and he will, all he needs is you and I. One of my favorite stories as a true story, Dr. Whitehead was this incredible preacher in Glasgow. And he had one of those voices in this oration ability. You know, one of those preachers, one of those right voices, he could read a restaurant menu and you'd weep. you go, that's just beautiful, you know. And <laughs> He, at the end of his service, would always say, you know, if there are any of you here that have never given your life to Christ, if you'd like to raise your hand or to come forward, and he faithfully preached all the time. He had a parishioner by the name of Tom Betterman. And Tom Betterman uh, went to this church all the time. He was a single guy, never married, and he loved it. And he always had this habit of going to the hotel in Glasgow before he walked down to the cathedral. And he would have breakfast and he would order haggis, and only God knows why he would do that, but for breakfast and some eggs. And he would always find somebody there sitting in the lobby and invite them to breakfast and pay for it and say, would you like to go with me to church? And he brought many people, and one time he invited a guy, and they had breakfast, and They had their tea and said, let's go, which cometh me to worship. So he did. And at the end of Whitehead's sermon, he said, if, you know, bow your head and if you would like to receive this gift, you can just raise your hand. And this gentleman who he invited kind of sheepishly raised his hand. And Tom Betterman felt so great. And the next day he was walking by and he knew where Whitehead lived and he walked by and he said, you know that pastor, nobody ever comes forward and I'm gonna go tell him. So he went up to his house, knocked on it. Dr. Whitehead opened it up and there's Betterman. He said, I'm Tom Betterman. I attend your church and last Sunday, I just wanted to tell you pastor to encourage you that someone found the Savior. Whitehead said, what's your name? He said, Tom Betterman. He said, follow me. So he went walking into the pastor's front room and packed the kitchen and into the, his study. And he said, and he pulled open this drawer and he opened this stack of letters. And they were written by people who had given their life to Christ because they had been invited to the church by some guy called Tom Betterman. Which is more impressive? The preacher or the inviter. Both. The Lord be with you. And the Lord with you as well. I don't know what God is doing in your life. And I'm not against spectacular things. And I'm not against strength and skills and giftedness. Those are wonderful things. But you know in those nooks and crannies of your life, that common everyday people and the common everyday stuff you do with, have you stopped to say, God, overshadow this? Are you at a place where I am maybe as we come to this table that we have such a deficit in our heart, a chronic not good enoughness raised by our parents, whatever the deal is, or it could just be called the sin of pride that we don't want anybody else to get the attention or the glory. You know, being able to jettison that garbage, oh my goodness, what a freeing life to live. The world can put your name down here on a star in Hollywood and I tell you it's going to pass away in the dust of time. Can you name for me all the presidents of the United States of America? That's not a bad accomplishment, by the way. You come to this table and you say, Lord, you use me. He'll never forget it. And he will. As we come to this table, a conversation between the leader, the priest, or the pastor, in the believing community for the last centuries, we come to the Sursum Corda. We have this reading up here that I want us to share together before we come and to celebrate this goodness of what God has done. Think these words. Your heart might be broken, it might be empty, it might be full, it might be afraid. You bring it to him. It is right to give thanks to God even when you don't feel like it because what God has done and what God will do and what he's doing right now. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. This is a Presbyterian table that is a tiny bit of the universal table. This table becomes the table of our Lord. It is not just us. It is Christ. Don't rush here. This is a serious thing. This is a joyful thing. Let's do a gut check. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, as we come before you, from whom all thoughts are known and no secrets kept, Lord, we confess to you that we have not done the things you asked us to do. We have wimped out so many times. God, and we have done things, we have lusted, we have said, we have behaved in ways that we're ashamed of, let alone you. And so, God, we come before you right now and quietly we confess those things that come between us and you. Praise you, almighty, holy one of Israel, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the moment we confess to you On the basis of what you have done by the blood of your son on that cross, that sacrifice, his resurrection, ascension, his coming back in the spirit right here, right now, that we are forgiven forever. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would come and set aside these elements from a common to a holy use and seal your people to your heart. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of our lives, grant us your shalom, your peace. In your name we pray, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which I am giving for you. When you eat this, remember me. And after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new agreement, the new covenant in my blood that I am going to pour out for the removal. Of your sin when you drink this remember me these are the gifts of God given for the people of God At this time if our elders and our servers would come forward to receive their elements if you were visiting and you are new to the Christian faith and you would like to follow Christ you were so urged to do this to come and to give your life to Christ how we do this is by intinction Some of you have called this Eucharist, meaning giving thanks for what Christ has done. Some communion, meaning our oneness with the Lord and each other. Others, the Lord's Supper, the last thing that Christ did before his passion. But we dip the bread in the cup. And as we crush the bread in our teeth, we will not be crushed for our sin, though we should be, because Christ took that place for us. And it's from the miracle of biology that literally the fruit of this vine becomes a part of our body so we ask Christ to come and take over our life and renew us more into his image. Anytime you were ready, as you were in line, pray for the people in front of you. Pray for the people behind you. Come and renew your covenant with Christ.